DW Africa Link it's a new week with great stories ahead. Hello and welcome to DW's African program with the latest from Africa and the rest of the world. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I am Josie Mahachi. A very warm welcome from me too. We appreciate everyone following this show through our partner stations across the continent and on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Remember that you can also find us on Spotify. That's right. Coming up, the people of Niger celebrate the lifting of sanctions slapped on their country by ECOWAS after a military coup deposed President Mohamed Bazoum. Everyone is very pleased with the lifting of the embargo. For us, it's like a celebration. Niger and Nigeria share long borders. We should not be deprived of coming and going. Elsewhere in Guinea, the military junta gets its first taste of demonstrations after trade unions called for an indefinite strike. And this is why. Prices of all food items have increased. We are in support of the strike action. I am in support of the strike, but I would like them to open negotiations between the government and the labor unions. We'll be back with much more after the world news in brief. DW News. And I am Buba Jalo. Guinea's capital Conakry shut down on Monday as workers, including miners, began a nationwide strike for higher wages and other demands. The West African country is run by a military junta that seized power in a 2021 coup. The trade union group behind the protest said the general strike would be indefinite and would include the public, private and informal sectors. DW's Karim Kamara reported that an 18-year-old was killed in the strike, more to come on Africa Link with Josie Mahachi and Isaac Mugabe. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz says Berlin will not deliver Taurus cruise missiles to Ukraine. Scholz cited the extreme range of the missiles and said it would not be possible to monitor target control from Germany. And as Ukraine enters the third year of the Russian invasion, President Volodymyr Zelensky has revealed that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed fighting Russian forces. The mood in Kyiv was somber as President Vladimir Zelensky made a rare acknowledgement of the extent of Ukraine's difficulties. 31,000 Ukrainian military personnel have died in this war. 31,000 Ukrainians, which hurts us a lot. But I can't tell you how many are wounded because Russia will know how many people have left the battlefield. I just can't say it. Now to Burundi, where gunmen from the Red Tabara rebel group killed nine people and injured and injured others in an overnight attack in the western border with the Democratic Republic of Congo, a government spokesperson told reporters on Monday. Red Tabara has been fighting Burundi's government from bases in the DR Congo since 2015. And you are listening to Africa Link News from Germany's international public broadcaster DW. An attack on a mosque in eastern Burkina Faso has killed dozens of people, according to security sources. The attack happened on the same day as 15 civilians were killed in an attack on a Catholic church during Sunday Mass in the north of the country. No group has claimed responsibility. Israel has said this this Monday that its army had readied a plan to evacuate civilians ahead of an invasion of Rafah in the far south. Around 1.4 million Palestinians live in crowded shelters in Gaza. 
UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned the Israeli offensive would, in quotes, put the final nail in the coffin of aid operations. In another shock impact of the almost five-month-old war, the Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Sheyeh has announced the resignation of his government, which governs part of the Israeli-occupied West Bank. Journalist Hazam Balusha has more. Well, it's not clear yet, but um, we can we can say that there are two parties: the the U.S. pressure uh, to reform the Palestinian Authority. It could be this is one of the moves. On Thursday would be talks in Moscow uh, between uh, the Palestinian factions, especially between Hamas and Fatah, under the sponsorship of the Russian government. A U.S. military man who set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., in protest at the war of the war in Gaza, has died of his injuries. An active member of the U.S. Air Force, the man live-streamed the event, saying... He would, in quotes, no longer be complicit in genocide. And finally, Jürgen Klopp looks determined to leave Liverpool on a high note, having collected his eighth trophy with the Merseyside Club on Sunday, beating Chelsea 1-0 to win the English League Cup. He's targeting another three before he walks away. The Premier League, the FA Cup and Europa League are still within reach in what could be a glorious finale for the German that's all for now and if you would like to get more news from us go to our webpage dw.com or facebook tw africa my name is boba jalo and you are still listening to dw's african program coming to you live from our studios in bonn germany once again i'm isaac mugabe and i'm your host Chosi mahachi many thanks to all of you who are tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent and on our facebook page dw africa Tell us what you think about the topics that we are covering. And remember to also share this audio with family and friends. Now, Nigerians welcomed the lifting of some of the sanctions that were imposed on the country by West Africa's regional bloc following last year's coup. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, suspended trade and imposed tough sanctions last July after Niger's President Mohamed Bazoum was ousted in a military coup. But the bloc's warning of military intervention has fizzled out with little sign that Bazoum, still imprisoned in the presidential palace in Niamey, is close to being restored. And on Saturday, ECOWAS announced that it was lifting some of the sanctions, including a no-fly zone, border closures and asset freezes. Well, Eram Atipo has this report that has some reactions from the residents of Niamey. West Africa's regional bloc known as ECOWAS this weekend lifted travel and economy sanctions imposed on Niger that were aimed at reversing last year's coup in the country in a new push for dialogue as it also renewed calls on three junta-led nations to rescind their decision to quit the regional bloc. Nigerian President Bola Tinubu, current chairman of ECOWAS, said at the start of the summit that the bloc must re-examine the current approach to the quest for constitutional order in member states. The complexity of the issues at hand necessitate a comprehensive and collaborative approach. Accordingly, it is incumbent upon also to engage in constructive dialogue, exercise prudent judgment, 
and work collectively towards finding an enduring solution that will lead to a sustainable peace, security, as well as political stability in our region. In Niger's capital, Niamey residents welcomed the lifting of some of the sanctions that were imposed on their country. Everyone is very pleased with the lifting of the embargo. For us, it's like a celebration. Everything will return to normal. Supplies will come in, the poor and the rich will be able to eat, we can assist the most vulnerable. The month of Ramadan is approaching, and if product prices drop, everyone should be able to feed their family. Therefore, the lifting of the embargo is excellent news, and we thank Allah. The lifting of sanctions does not exclude, in fact, mistrust. This is a motivation, I think, for all Nigerians to really work in harmony with our allies from the ECOWAS, who have been a bit strict with us. But since they have returned to better sentiments, I believe it means that we should, in fact, forgive each other. Niger and Nigeria share long borders. Niger and Benin have long-standing ties. We should not be deprived of coming and going. Now, what needs to be done is to keep a watchful eye on what enters and what leaves. And that's what's necessary. None of the conditions earlier announced by ECOWAS for the lifting of the sanctions have been met, including its request for Niger's deposed president to be released from custody, as well as a short timeline for the junta in Niger to return power to civilians. Aram Atipo with that report. Before we continue to the next story, let's bring in some of your comments you've been saying on this particular story. At the Tunji, TJ says, this is a welcome development. Dialogue is very important on these issues with Guinea, Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso. ECOWAS should be proactive and respect the sovereignty of these countries and the wishes of their people. A good comment there, Joseph. Mm, and Potifa P. Tembo says the junta is more powerful than ECOWAS. Meanwhile, we condemn military coups in Africa. Mbua Keng says... We have to learn to find other ways of solving issues as sanctions no longer work because they don't affect those they need to. He goes on to say, Josie, that some leaders don't care if the people die. So for humanitarian reasons, it's better not to treat them as the population rather than the leaders who suffer more. Mm, and Rubira Ronald says, ECOWAS at this time will face more challenges in their sanctions than the junta. The junta is widely connected. Many thanks for those uh, comments that you've been sending in. Now to Guinea, Conakry, where labor unions have begun an indefinite national strike action today. Offices, schools, and other public places remain closed across the country throughout the day. The unions are demanding better living conditions for Guineans and reduction in prices of basic food items, among others. Now, the strike action is happening at a time when Guinea is without a government. Junta leader Mamadi Dumbuya last week dissolved the entire cabinet, accusing the outgoing government of inaction to meet the expectations of Guineans after more than two of governance. Karim Kamara, our correspondent, has more on this story. Offices, schools, shops and filling stations remain closed throughout the day in Conakry and in the interior of the country. In government-owned hospitals, only minimum services are taking place to attend to patients. Only few commercial vehicles are applying the roads in some areas of Conakry. Armed police and gendarmes could be seen patrolling the streets of Conakry on board their vehicles, while others are stationed in strategic areas around the city. 
Intermittent gunfire could be heard in some part of Conakry as security forces were trying to disperse angry youth. Kalija Law, a civil society activist, says the strike action is a result of bad governance and the refusal by the authorities to care for Guineas. The people are suffering today. Food prices have skyrocketed and besides that, there are restrictions on freedoms. Recently, there have been internet restrictions, jamming of radio frequencies and the arrest of prominent journalists. This strike today, honestly, is due to the multiple violations of human rights by the authorities. The labor unions are demanding free access to internet, a reduction in prices of basic food items such as rice, which is the staple food in Guinea, and the immediate and conditional release of the jailed journalist Sheku Jamal Pendesa. Pendesa was arrested after he called for the lifting of restrictions on the internet and denounced the persecution of journalists by the junta. On the street of Conakry early this morning, this is how people reacted to the sit-down strike action. Prices of all food items have increased. We are in support of the strike action. Truly today in Guinea, nothing works. Therefore, we support the labor unions. We have had enough. There is no internet, even within the country. The telephone lines are jammed, and the price of rice has skyrocketed. And for those reasons, we are fully behind the unionists. I am in support of the strike, but I would like them to open negotiations between the government and the labor unions. The government must not restrict the internet and reduce the price of food items. I want peace in Guinea. This is the first ever nationwide strike action the junta has faced since it came to power in 2021. From all indications, the junta, in their interest, should do everything possible to end the strike before it goes out of hand. Reporting for DW Radio, I am Karim Kamara in Conakry. Thanks a lot, Karim. Now, straight to some comments you see there live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Lambert Kevin says this strike by Guineans is a sign that the Western world is still 100% bossing Africa. Well, not so right there, Kevin Lambert, because even here in Germany, Lufthansa Airline is planning to strike, and that's why trade unions are it. They are already Mm -hmm. negotiating the wages. And by the way, even transport companies here will be striking on 29th and the 1st of March. So, Kevin, it's not a thing of Africa, but also elsewhere. It happens. Remember, this is DW's Africa Link. Stay tuned. And in case you are just joining us, you're listening to DW's Africa Link program. We broadcast every Monday to Friday from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Join the show on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and share your thoughts on the stories we are covering. And just like Josie mentioned at the start of the program, we are also there on Spotify. So remember, you can also reach out there and don't forget also to share this show or this audio with your family and friends. Now, still to come on the second part of the show, Nigeria Labour Congress, NLC, and its affiliate unions insist on its protest despite the alleged threat of disruption. We are going on a peaceful protest tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. No one can compel us to change that um, decision. We do not constitute a threat in any form.
Mm, it's about protests and protests and more protests. Uh, well, a little later on the program, there's something interesting that will come up on women's football transfer. But let's kick off this part of the show in South Africa. The election mode is now in full swing in the Red Mode Nation ahead of the national elections set for the 29th of May this year. Over 350 political parties will bury it out to elect the country's president and 400 members of parliament. You, mm, 350 political parties. Now, the election takes place at a time when South Africa is facing many challenges, including unemployment, power cuts, water shortages, crime, and influx of African migrants. Parties are taking no chances going around the country to sell their programs to the electorate. From Johannesburg, our correspondent Tuso Kumalo looks at what the front runners of this election are offering in their recently launched election manifestos. The EFF was the first to launch its manifesto on the 10th of February at the Moses Mabita Stadium in the ANC stronghold of KwaZulu-Natal province. The Red Berets, as they are known, have made it plain in their manifesto that in the event of them winning, there shall be no compromise in their seven pillars, namely expropriation of land without conversation, nationalization of mines and banks, building state and government capacity, free quality education, health and houses, job creation, developing the economy of the African continent and ending corruption. Julius Malema is the presidential candidate of the EFF. We are going to increase social grants to 4,180. We want child support grant to be increased to 1,200 per month. We want disability, care dependency, and foster care increased. The EFF will introduce a graduate fund. The Democratic Alliance launched its manifesto on the 17th of February in front of President Cyril Ramaphosa's Union Building's offices in Pretoria. The party's manifesto outlines a seven-point rescue plan for South Africa that includes creating two million jobs in five years, ending load shedding, crushing corruption, ending poverty, and ensuring quality health care and education. DA presidential candidate John Stenhessen told thousands of his supporters that their presence at the doorsteps of the union buildings was a notice of vacation to the ANC-led government. If you want to rescue South Africa from unemployment, from load shedding and water shedding, and from crime, corruption and poverty and hunger, and from failing schools and from broken hospitals, then you must vote for the DA. The ruling ANC did not accept to be outdone when it launched its manifesto last Saturday on the 24th of February. The party's key offers in the manifesto include transforming the economy, advancing social transformation, building safe communities, fighting corruption, and building a better world exactly as offered in 2019. The party's presidential candidate, Suri Ramaphosa, is urging the voters to look at the party's track record. 
rate of poverty it has come down. The number of people in employment has more than doubled from 8 million to 16.7 million today. We celebrate 30 years of better education and health care for all. Smaller parties are also launching their manifestos. All of them are proposing a variety of ways of dealing with South Africa's immigration crisis. But not all voters are impressed by what the major parties are offering. Many say these are songs they've heard repeatedly every five years, but their lives remain the same. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to Sokumalo for that report. And we will be giving you a lot of updates on that much anticipated election coming up in South Africa. Now, Nigeria for long had been under international pressure to end fuel subsidies that allowed its citizens to pay some of the cheapest petrol prices in the world. But an economic crisis triggered after President Bola Ahmed Tinubu removed them in May 2023 on his first day in office. Well, the move was part of the president's attempt to improve the economy and included ending a currency peg maintained by the former central bank governor. It's been nine months after the subsidies were cut. Men are questioning the decision of abruptly eliminating them without a crucial plan and how Tinubu's government has implemented its post-subsidy strategy. Now, the Nigeria Labour Congress, NLC, has announced a two-day national protest slated for February 27th. That's tomorrow and the day after on the 28th, unless the government fulfills its agreements. The proposed protest is not merely a reaction to the subsidy removal, but a manifestation of the public's growing anger with the government's handling of economic policies. With the NLC threatening an indefinite strike, like you mentioned, should their demands remain unaddressed, we hear from the Nigeria Labour Congress spokesperson, Benson Upa. We are going on a peaceful protest tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. No one can compel us to change that um, decision. We do not constitute a threat in any form to our uh, sovereignty or security. Thank you. So we spoke to the spokesperson just a few minutes before we came to the studio. So the government has not yet said anything. We keep track on that story. That is the spokesperson for the Nigeria Labour Congress, Benson Opa. Now, according to experts, Nigerians are experiencing the worst economic crisis in more than two decades. Fuel prices have since tripled in Nigeria, leading to increased costs of food and transport. The Naira currency has sunk to record lows almost weekly and has lost about 70% of its value to the dollar since the currency peg ended last year. Well, Josie, thank you so much. You've brought everyone to speed about what is happening in Nigeria economy-wise, the crisis, the subsidies and all mm-hmm. that. But as usual, always go down to Delve and find out for from Nigerians what they think about the situation. Will they protest or not? Let's listen to what some had to say. Uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, the hardship on the land is very, very alarming. The masses of Nigerians are suffering and the federal governments are not doing the needful. So me personally, I support uh, the strike and I also participate in any protest. I also join to protect the DSS and uh, other security agencies. I think they are threats. It won't stop Nigerians to come outside and participate. The cost of living now is very, very high. The federal governments are not willing to do anything. They kept a lot of promises and all the promises they kept, they have not fulfilled anyone. 
Well, I think it's a welcome idea for us to go on strike. At least that will make the government and the people to sit and have a round table discussion to a better life for every citizen, as the case may be. But as far as there's hike in fuel, it's equivalent to every single item you go to purchase in the market. So I think it covers everything. They deserve to go on strike, sir, because the suffering is too much. This is not what they bargained for. They bargained for a better government. Even though the mandate was stolen, they were now hoping that this same government will make things better for the people. But unfortunately, it's going the other way around. And they are now out. They are planning to come out to protest against this hardship, which is their civic rights. Oh, the cost of living has increased desperately and it's terrible. People are complaining. Personally, I buy my hypertension medication. It started 6,001. Now it's 9,001. The masses can't even afford it. People are even dying. It's terrible. Foodstuff has skyrocketed. Pure water, ordinary pure water bag, 300. It's now 600. Those that were even affording it before, they can't afford it again. So we just pray that the Lord comes in to help us because as it is now, we need a miracle. The rich are even crying now. And if the rich are crying, what would the poor do? Wow. Wow, wow. Strong reactions from other Nigerians there. You know, Josie, I've read a book mm. called When the Rich Cry. Then really, like, like she says, what about the poor? That's the question. Well, tell us what you think about what's going on in Nigeria or even in your country by going to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Who knows? Until later, we can always come back to those comments mm-hmm. in our next program, Josie. Absolutely. Now we move ahead with the show. Remember, this is Africa Link and we give you only the best. Mm-hmm. Now on today's Africa Link showbiz where we update you on the happenings in the entertainment and sport, Isaac? Yes, it was a packed weekend and to give us more on what happened without taking much time, who did what over the weekend? Here's DW's George Okaji. We begin today's showbiz in Germany's capital, Berlin. This year's edition of the prestigious Berlin International Film Festival, Europe's first major film festival of the year, better known as the Berlin Alley, came to an end on Saturday with various sought-after prizes being distributed among the winners of the festival's main categories. The Golden Bear, which is the highest prize awarded at the Berlin Alley, went to Dahomey, a documentary by French Senegalese director Mati Diop. Also shed light on the social political power of cinema highlighted by Russell and Watson. Dahomey tells the story of a group of Beninese university students who debate over how to approach the return of 26 royal treasures of the kingdom of Dahomey in modern-day Benin from Paris, where they were taken by plundering French colonial troops in 1982. Now, to some Afrobeat gist, the lady who left her boyfriend to dance with Nigerian singer Omale has apologized to her boyfriend after she made headlines following the cozy dance moves she pulled with the singer. While at his concert, Omale spotted the lady and called her to the stage. The lady left her boyfriend in the crowd and joined the singer on stage. The two started dancing together before the curtains were closed, showing only a footage of the two getting cozy. She has come out to speak, saying she has been getting a big amount of hate and she is scared. The lady added that she did not know it was going to get this far. Would you go up the stage if your favorite artist calls you during a concert? Tell us in the comments as sections. Africa Link. Sport.
And now to some sport updates, we look at how women's football is booming. Transfer records are tumbling in women's football with spending up a massive 165%. But how can the sport juggle growth and financial sustainability? DW's Danya Barcelona gives us more details. Women's football is exploding and it's growing faster than ever. In the last 18 months, the transfer record has been broken three times. Kira Walsh went to Barcelona for 400,000. Chelsea bought Myra Ramirez for 450,000 in January 2024. And a month later, Bay FC dished out more than 700,000 for Zambian Rachel Kundanangi. Spending in the January transfer window hit almost 2 million euros. That's a 165% increase from the previous year. That rapid rise shows how clubs are taking the women's game more seriously. Until 2020, the record transfer fee remained untouched for 18 years. Huge crowds at tournaments like the 2023 World Cup are having a knock-on effect. Arsenal women are averaging more than 30,000 fans per game. That's higher than nine men's Premier League clubs. This has all led to increased sponsorship, broadcast money, and match day revenue. Which is great on the surface, but questions have been raised about sustainability. Experts believe that lessons should be learned from the men's game, which is riddled with debt and has a massive gap between rich and poor clubs. While transfer fees rise in the women's game, there are calls for more investment at a grassroots level, with many smaller clubs struggling to survive. Can football find a balance between growth and financial sustainability? That million-dollar question ending the report by Danya, it's back to you, Josie Mahachi and Isaac Mugabe. Thank you so much, George Okachi, mm. for that very detailed showbiz and sports. Unfortunately, this is all we had time for today. We have to love and leave you. Until tomorrow, my name is Josie Mahachi. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Catch you tomorrow, same time, same place. Bye for now. B.W. Made for Minds.